Have you ever felt it? That excitement, that hum that reaches into the very base of your stomach and makes your whole body feel alive? Well, your life can feel like that. Each week, I'll be sharing ways your personal wellness journey can lead you to a life that literally makes you hum. We'll be diving into all things nutrition, mindset, connection, spirituality and relationships to encourage you to be courageous and brave with your life and most importantly, unashamedly you. Together, let's find your hum. Welcome to Find Your Hum. This is episode 32 and I am your host, Kirsty. Now, straight up, I'm putting an implicit warning on this one. There are a few F-bombs dropped, so if you have little ears around, maybe save this one for later or pop in some headphones. Now, this week marks the one-year anniversary of the podcast. And wow, when I think back to launching this a year ago, it feels honestly like a lifetime ago. I have had so much growth in the past year, and this podcast is part of it. I am someone who used to overthink everything. I was my own worst critic, and thanks to a Virgo son, I demanded perfection in everything I did. And I'm sure there's quite a few people that can relate to this as well. But you know what? That is no longer me. Sure, I can still catch myself falling back into some of this from time to time, but you know what? That's the thing. I catch myself now. Putting this podcast out meant that I had to put all of that aside. I also had to take the fear around thoughts like, who would listen? Will I have enough to talk about? Is anyone actually going to want to be my guest? Aside. Yet despite all of this, this podcast has absolutely made me hum. Today, I have the lady that made this all possible, Carly Nimmo. You know that saying, you can't be what you can't see? Well, Carly has allowed me to be able to see the person I can be. Now, I don't know whether it's because she's also a 1-3 in human design, like myself, or if it's simply the way she, more than anyone else I know, shares what she is going through, what she feels, in a total no-bullshit, no-fucks-given kind of way. The more I see her do this, the more I know it's possible for me. She truly is an absolute inspiration to me, and to be able to interview her totally lit me up. Carly also gave me the push I needed to get this podcast out. During a human design passion and purpose session I had with her, it was revealed to me through my human design chart that I am here to figure things out and communicate these things effectively to others. My role in the world is as an advisor. Now, there are a few ways I communicate. This podcast is one of them. But this session really gave me the permission and the push I needed to start to share more. Carly also has an amazing course for buddying podcasters called Radcasters. This course has absolutely everything you need to get your podcast up and running. From picking a name, the artwork, the theme, recording your podcast, editing, hosting, going live, and the most important part, getting over that fear. So doing this course absolutely 100% made getting this podcast out super easy. So if you have a desire to use your voice to communicate with the world, I highly, highly, highly recommend checking out Radcasters, and I'll put the link in the show notes. Now today's podcast honestly has it all. We literally just free flow chatted for an hour. I had every intention of putting down some questions as a guide, which is what I normally do, but thanks to the jet lag, it didn't happen. And this was the outcome. So you basically get to listen to us just having a chat. When I asked Carly to come on the podcast, I wanted to chat with her about being unashamedly yourself. You know, that really embracing and feeling comfortable with who you are. As honestly, Carly really has embraced expressing herself in a way that lights her up. And we definitely did that in this conversation. A little trigger warning on this one too. We do touch on themes of sexual abuse, mental health, racism, sexism, and gender. So if these topics are areas you struggle with, I would highly suggest skipping to around the 40-minute mark and listening from there, or maybe even skipping this episode. And if you do need someone to talk to, please contact Lifeline in Australia or Mind in the UK. Links will be in the show notes. Because I recorded this whilst I was still in quarantine, 
about halfway through, the sound quality does get a little bit sketchy, but bear with it because it is only for a little bit of time. To top off an amazing episode, Carly gives the best response to my final question of what are you doing to currently find your hum? So much so, I think I might even use it in promotion of this podcast. Before I begin, I really just want to say a huge thank you for giving me the courage and also the practical skills um, to be able to bring this podcast to life because without you, I would not be doing this. Yay, that makes me happy. (laughs) So good. Okay, so what was Carly like as a teenager? Oh, what was I like as a teenager? Um, I would say a classic uh, 90s teenager, really. I was all the angst. Um, uh, yeah, I was a pretty angsty teen, I think. I probably was, um, I, I think there was like, there was the pop loving side of me and then there was like the grunge loving side of me. So I was like a, a, a mixture. Sometimes if I was like dancing and singing and doing the things that I love, then I probably wasn't so angsty. But I feel like as a teenager, life didn't, it wasn't that um, encouraging of, you know, like full personal expression. So there was a lot of anger and yeah, Nirvana in my bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. That's a very good description. I think Nirvana, I think that like wraps it up. I think there's so many people Pretty out much. there that would be like, yeah, I get you right now. <laughs> there was a lot of brown. There's a lot of corduroy. <laughs> Do you think that expression of a, like being yourself as a teenager, do you think that's still there or the inexpression, I should say? Um, or do you think, I don't know, in this day and age, they're allowed to express themselves more or do you think it's probably going the other way? I think it depends. I think there's definitely been more of a movement, even if you look at what's happening in popular media at the moment, Um, I would say that they're more encouraged to be themselves and there's a lot more acceptance of who, you know, I feel like the, the next generation, God, I feel so old saying this, but like, uh, and, and, and like the next generation was actually millennials for me. So like the next, next, next generation, um, are, are way more, like, I feel like they're way more accepting. I feel like they're way more inclusive. I think they really value diversity. Uh, I think they're open you know, they're way more open than than definitely we were when I was growing up. You know, being different was um, it made you vulnerable, and I feel like there that 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 is changing. I'm not sure if it's completely changed, and I think it depends on the environment in which you grow up too. Um, where I grew up, it was extra dangerous to be uh, out there and yourself, um, just due to the nature of the school I went to and the culture there. It was very heavy. Um, you know, it was. Yeah, it was a clusterfuck really of a school. So there was um there's that. I hope I'm allowed to swear. Sorry. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, cool. Um, so yeah, so I think it depends on the environment. I think it depends on where you grow up, and I think it depends on how progressive the society that you live in is. So I think it's shifting um more so. And and I think maybe there's like a, a counter side to that because it sometimes feels like there's a lot of pressure to be different and to be fully expressed and to be bold and you know and there's also people who are um you know quiet and shy and we don't all have to be loud and you know have bright colored hair and you know larry pants like we can be whoever we want to be um so i just hope that that that's not a thing like you know you have to be this kind of like really out there kind of person in order to be cool because i think like anybody everyone is cool in their own right i think you always find that in every part of society or movements and things like that, the pendulum almost swings too yeah. far the other way. So, yeah, right. like you said, let's hope it doesn't have to swing so far that everyone has to be so radically different that they lose themselves anyway. Right, right, because then then you also almost become a cartoon character. There's this, you know, danger of you not being who you are because you're so desperate to be you know, someone else. Like, I feel like in my day, it was about fitting in and it was about um, being as almost as invisible as possible because there was safety in that. And 
Um, and yeah, and I just hope it doesn't swing, but it's so true, right? Like if you think about my, me in the, in the bedroom, listening to Nirvana and then, and, and even like the, the fashion, I feel like the fashion has come back around and we're really in the thick of nineties fashion at the moment. Um, but like, you know, you look at the, the shifts between back then it was like, you know, the, the ideal body was heroin chic. And now we're looking at, um, you know, Kim Kardashian kind of body as the ideal as well. So there's like, you know, that, yeah, it really has shifted a lot. Like back in, back in my day, <laughs> um, you know, that it was like, it was, yeah, everyone was kind of like grungy and dirty and all that, and, you know, like greasy hair and all that kind of jazz. And then we went like way to the other extreme where, you know, I don't know, like the boys had those weird haircuts that were like fully manicured and like, blah, you know, and so, yeah. And so then I think we, we're, we're in the midst of another swing, but where it will lead, who knows? I guess that's the exciting thing about life. It is. Yes. And also being able to sit back and watch it. I think like I said, when you get to our age, it's actually <laughs> quite nice to be able to view it more from the outside than to kind of be stuck in it. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. I don't, I don't, um, yeah, it's funny. Like I've just been thinking about my daughter and it breaks my heart to know all the heartbreak and all the things that she's going to have to go through in her life. And so from that perspective, I just would never be a teenager again because it was such a painful experience. Um, but also, also wonderful in other ways, you know? Um, so I, I feel for kids, I just feel for kids and teenagers in general, they're moving through so much, um, yeah, it's easy for us to to say, you know, like fall into a place where like it's like, oh, they're so entitled or they're so this or the so that. And and I feel like previous generations have done that, you know, like mm-hmm. um hated on the ones coming up. And but I actually see a lot of I see just a lot of potential and um yeah, I mean I, I don't know, I feel hopeful for the future with the children that we're raising, really. Yeah, I think it's probably what it comes from too, because we've been that generation that was kind of we always got stuck between the two really in yeah. terms of like you think about what our parents were like and they were you know almost they're a little bit conforming as well to a point and don't go outside of the line so we kind of got raised by that but we were trying to find our identity at the same time and yeah. you know especially women like it was all this like girl power type of stuff and yeah now it's kind of swinging back and now the the poor guys I feel so sorry (laughs) for boys at the moment in terms of like what are they meant to do (laughs) it's like they kind of (laughs) have kind of gotten lost so yeah I think that's almost like where it's coming to and it'd be yeah quite interesting to see where they land now having us as their role models it's quite yeah and like you know I feel about um you know the whole feminism thing you know it's like my mum had to, you know, she's only in her 60s and she had to have a letter from my father after they got married to allow her to go back to work in the public service. That's you know, crazy. and it's like that's that's like in her lifetime, which is almost my lifetime because she yeah. had me not long after that. So it's like, wow, like the the strides that women have taken um, forward. But, yeah, our poor old men, hey. <laughs> <laughs> and I get like definitely things had to change. Yeah, but I just Yeah, and I, I don't disagree with that either. But, yeah, we always, like I said, I think it's that pendulum thing. It kind of goes too far one way and I just think they're kind of losing like their place as well a little bit. Yeah. So interesting to see what How comes it swings back into balance. Yeah. 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 I've got um, nephews um, that have... Oh, 13 to 7 I think that's their ages <laughs> they'll lucky they don't listen to this so it won't matter if I've got it wrong lucky <laughs> <laughs> because I've said the f word a few times too <laughs> and oh, that's all right their parents say that too <laughs> um yeah and that's just be very interesting to see like how they navigate growing up and watching them yeah. I just find it I find it so fascinating so yeah and how how their relationship to themselves is informed or even damaged by you know what what's happening in the world because I I feel like it would be a really hard ride I want to say also I have been a complete man hater in the past like there's a lot of me there's a lot to hate um from my own experience (laughs) so um and but recently I've found a bit more compassion because it feels like like it's a really hard ride to um you know in the last 12 to 18 months for me has been a, a hard ride in myself looking at 
um, the, all the stuff that Black Lives Matter raised within me and having a look at how my, like looking at my own privilege, those are really, they're really difficult things to do, particularly when you're benefiting from the privilege. It's a really hard thing to look at how you have contributed to an oppressive system to some, towards somebody else. And so I, I understand how painful it is for men to, like, it must be so confronting to any man who, because most men love women, right? Like mm-hmm. they, have, yep. they, have a, they have a mother they probably had a decent relationship with. They likely have a partner of some kind or a sister or, um, you know, a nana or children. And to think that those, you know, I know when I've spoken about the things that have happened to me in my lifetime, um, how impacted my brothers are by that and how hurt they are that those things could have happened to me. And, and at, at the hand of men, men who are likely their friends, you know, that's really hard. And, and actually also could have been them without them even really realizing it. So um, that, you know, that has to be really hard shit to, to face. And I feel like, um, you know, uh, uh, it'll take time, but I feel like people are starting to realize, well, this isn't, this isn't okay. You know, it's not okay for, um, yeah, for women to feel scared. Like I have a little studio outside the back of my garden and I just have to walk from there to the back door. It's literally, I would say five meters. And at night, it's a scary thing to do in my own backyard. I mean, that's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Um, But all women, all women experience, maybe not that, but, you know, having a strategy when you're walking out to your car at night, we've got the keys in the hand. Like these are things that all women have strategies around. And men never have to think about that shit. That's wrong. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's what's interesting is that I think because we've just sort of been brought up to have those strategies, to think about those things that just kind of gets told to us, be careful, that you actually don't even realise that it's not normal until it's kind of brought to your attention. I know that certainly right. the, the, the thought for me, like when all this stuff was coming up, like, you know, with the keys in your hand, like, you know, that kind of stuff. I've done that stuff before, but it just seemed, well, isn't that just what you do because you are a female? Like, you know, Mm. it's just one of those things. But then, yeah, it's not until it sort of comes into your awareness that you're like, hang on, this is actually pretty crap. (laughs) Yeah, it's totally crap. (laughs) It's crap for me to be scared to put the bins out at night, you know, or or, or my husband has to walk the dog. Like he has to, I, I, I put the kid to bed and he walks the dog around the, you know, around the street so the dog can have a crap and a sniff and whatever. Um, but I can't do that. No. Uh, because I don't feel safe. And and he doesn't even, it's not even a fleeting thought in his head ever that he could be harmed. No. But for me, it's so present I would never do it. That's that that is something that's fundamentally wrong, you know? Absolutely. But we just don't, yeah, you're right. Like we don't even realize it until it's like, hang on, why why are we doing this? Like why are we um, you know, why, why, why are we taking all this responsibility to keep ourselves safe? Why aren't, why, why isn't it actually put on the perpetrator, you yeah. know? And I feel like that's the shift that's happening at the moment, whether we're talking about feminism, whether we're talking about racism, whether we're talking about transphobia, you know, it's about taking the, taking the um, responsibility and placing it back where it belongs. And that is not on the oppressed. No, absolutely not. And I think in terms of, I'm also to do with the male thing. Is it such a small part of the males in the world that actually would do something to a female? And I suppose it's probably the same with racism. I, you know, I, I can't speak from that because I don't ever, you know, I'm lucky I don't have to worry about racism. Worry is the right, right word for it. Um, but yeah, is there, you know, is there only a small part of, society that would show somebody racism I know it's definitely like that with men like you could walk past thousands of men a night but it's just that one that potentially is likely to do something that means that you have to alter your your whole behavior just for such a small minority and it's so sad yeah though I feel that that is the case on a on a on a devastating level right whether we're talking about racism or we're talking about um sexism right like it's it's a it's a very small percentage of people who will um you know like physically harm someone else intentionally for sure 
that's a very small percentage of someone who's going to, you know, like um, stalk you in the street, chuck you in a car and rape you or whatever, you know, like that's, that's like, that's, that's a small percentage. What happens though, is the more insidious stuff that is on a day-to-day level. So, you know, if I think about my experience as a woman and the experiences that I've had um, with men, there have been varying levels of what is not appropriate down to, you know, the rape level, very mildly up to, you know, random shit that happens that's really inappropriate. Like um, when I, you know, there's so many times where I've been in a club or something in my 20s and a guy's grabbed my ass. That's that's not appropriate. But it's also, um, or and, it's also, you know, like wrong. No, no but, man but normalised though, isn't it? But normalized, right? And it's the same. It's the same with racism. No, not many. There's there's a small amount of people who's going to be in the Ku Klux Klan, you know, like kind of that level of racism. But but there is this insipid, um, you know, like like oppression that happens just through the way we see someone else, and um, and those things aren't necessarily even expressed, but they're internalized. And it's the same with sexism, racism, transphobia. Uh, you know, homophobia, all of those things are things that live within us and require us to dig in personally because we will hold prejudice. We can't not. We can't not hold racist thoughts when we've been raised in a, um, you know, not necessarily overt but definitely covertly racist society. We're all going to be impacted by that stuff. It's the same with feminism. It's the same with all that stuff. It's it's there. It's just that we we dig deeper and deeper into the layers of it until we get into the nuanced stuff, you know? And there's also when, we're, you know, it's, we're talking about anyone who has experienced oppression, disabled people, all of these things are, you know, there's layers of it. And sometimes the more, you know, the stuff that's at the, the, that's the real damaging stuff, like physically damaging stuff, like someone stalking you or um, physically uh, attacking you, um, that stuff happens in the in the in the minority, and it's it's big. But there's all this insidious stuff that's hidden, and I think that's that's the stuff where we're starting to get to. Yeah, if and that I makes think, sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is probably, like I said, it's probably more the nuance parts of it that can then make you have to stop and check what you've right. done and how you are in the world. Because, yes, it's probably, like you said, um, talking about race, I would definitely never go and join the Glue Clutch clan. But have I no, totally. done Have I done some of that nuanced stuff, you know, not even really understanding the impact on people quite right. possibly, yes. Yeah. How, and I know that's been the thing for, like, you because I obviously <laughs> follow you a lot on Instagram and how you show up there yeah. and what you talk about on your podcast. How, and I know that's some of those things are can't for you. And like you said, your role that you play in that, how have you actually gotten yourself through it, being able to deal with it, process it? That's the word I'm looking for. How yeah. Have, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So I guess um, number one, I've been willing to look at it. And over the years, I've formed such a relationship with myself that I'm not, I'm not like an asshole, right, to myself. So when something like this comes up um, and I recognise, oh, my God, like when the Black Lives Matter thing happened, I would have considered myself definitely very unracist. And then I dug deeper into it and I was like, oh, hang on. Actually, I can, I'm starting to recognise how I've contributed to this. And some of it I felt deep shame around, particularly stuff that I'd done in my teenage years. Um, and it was simple, simple stuff. Like like I had a friend who's um, who was Aboriginal and, and was very light-skinned. And a lot of people would pick on her and call her horrible names. And I, I didn't get involved in it, but I absolutely allowed it to happen. And I sometimes laughed when it did. That, that is me contributing, right? And so, and, and I think this is why it's so hard because, you know, like if I had called her the names that other people were calling her, I would have even had more shame to deal with. And people don't want to feel shame, right? Like, no, we don't want to feel shame. <laughs> it is very uncomfortable. And we also don't want to, like, we, we all, most of us, truly believe inherently that we're good people and that we would never harm anyone intentionally. And so to know that you've done it unintentionally is a very painful thing to even consider. 
but it's necessary. You know, it's necessary for us to take the blinders off and and stop believing that we're this kind of angelic being <laughs> and, and actually look at where we have contributed to problems. So for me, I start by, I start by really ta- taking, like if I notice there's some defence like rising in me, hang on, that's not me. No, I would never do that. Then, then I get really honest with myself. Is that true? Like are there actually ways that you have contributed to this? And then I do it without without being a total asshole to myself. It's like, yeah, okay, you 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 didn't you did the best that you could at the time. It's like if you watch Benny Hill these days, it's like it's shocking, right? Like, yes, it's shocking. Oh my god, how was this on television? And how was the like? It's it's gross. But back then, it was accept- acceptable. It didn't make it right, but it was accepted by society. So, so anyone who watched that was contributing to sexism, right? But mm-hmm. they, weren't in, they weren't aware of it. Now we're aware of it so we can do better. So it's not about feeling a whole bunch of shame, but it is about seeing that society shifts and so do our values and so do what is right and wrong and, and our morals and our ethics shift. And so we have to be willing to, to look at it instead of like being dismissive, like, oh, you know, my husband says sometimes, Oh, you know, but that, but that was then and that was acceptable. So he was just kind of doing what, what was acceptable. And it's like, yeah, but it's not acceptable now. And, and so, so we still need to look at it and be like, yeah, you know what, that was really inappropriate. Like just own that, mm-hmm. own that it was yeah. inappropriate, but you didn't know any better. Right. Like, but regardless, it was inappropriate. Um, and I think that's what mo- most people aren't willing to do that. They're not willing to look and go, yeah, okay. That was inappropriate. I, I'm sorry for the harm that it caused. Yeah. That they want to find a way that makes it okay for them. Yeah. But, um, but the fact of the matter is, even though it might have been societally okay at the time, it, is, it isn't okay. And if we continue on, all we're going to have is more damage occurring unless we take responsibility for what we're consuming, what we're saying, um, what we're thinking, then, you know, that's when things shift. But we can't do it if we're in constant denial of how we've contributed to issues. Do you think it's easier for you to be able to stand back, have a look at those parts of yourself because of like where you are now? Where you know, if you go back to not even Carly as a teenager, say Carly 10 years ago, yeah. do you think she would have been in the same position to be able to do that now? Or do you think it's no. because you've done a lot of yeah. work? For one yes. of the better words. Yeah, totally. Um, to be able to get I, yourself I do. There. Yeah, because like I remember, I remember 15 years ago, I was working out, I was on a treadmill and um, and I was having this like just this bitch to my personal trainer about like, um, you know, something that had happened to me and the, and the person was such an asshole and they were so, you know, and I was just having a massive old bitch taking zero responsibility for anything. And, um, and this woman in the gym said, Something like, which I, which I don't fully believe either, but at the time, like it was, I was like, fuck you. She said something like, so um, like, is there anything that you can take responsibility for there? Because, you know, like if something like that's happened, then, then there has to be something in there that you can own. And I was just like, fuck off. Yeah. No, it's her, it's her, you know, or whatever. Um, and then, and then I, and then, and, and now it's just something that I do, right? But there is a line to this because I feel like what can happen and what has happened to me in the past is then I take so much responsibility for myself. I'm not allowing other people to take responsibility at all. And I'm taking all the blame. It becomes this like it can, has the potential to become almost this victim blaming thing. It's like that whole, uh, I don't know, even know what you would call it, like psychology, this, that whole Um, movement of like what have you done to create this you know like you are the ultimate creator so you've attracted into this life the things that need you need to heal within yourself that airs on uh victim shaming right yeah so so there is a balance here yes it is about you and there are things that you can take responsibility for and if you're if you're finding yourself repeatedly in situations then maybe there's something that you can own about that to shift things. But when it comes in, when it becomes this thing around, it's all about you and what you've done, like then, then you just become, you know, like, like the, the woman who dressed inappropriately and got raped and everyone blames her. It's not her fault. 
She can wear, it's her body. She can do whatever the fuck she wants with it. Blame the person who was the perpetrator towards her, yeah. right? So it's like, so so there's this balance that needs to, um, that I think happens over time. It's like, you know, we were talking about the pendulum, right? Yep. Sometimes we'll swing from where I was on that treadmill, which was like, fuck you, I don't take responsibility for anything, to like, the other side where we're like, I'm taking full total responsibility for everything. And now I hate myself because I've, I've attracted every bad thing in my life, you know, and I continue to do so. I'm in this cycle of like, why, why do all bad things happen to me? I'm a bad person. That's why I'm attracting all this stuff, you know? And then there's this balance in the middle, which is like, yes, I can take responsibility for my part, but there's also another element here. It's not just about me. How did you get from that person on the treadmill to where you are now? Because I think so many people get stuck in that person on the treadmill. I think I I got to the point, for me, it was a mental breakdown, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> um, it was depression and anxiety and it was, um, it was n- like feelings of inadequacy that, that just got to the point where I couldn't function as a human being anymore. Like, you know, I was, I was, um, yeah, very depressed and very anxious and something had to shift. And I feel like actually for me, the catalyst was, so I guess the, um, it wasn't the catalyst, but the depression and the anxiety was almost like a, uh, a symptom of how I felt about myself in some ways. I'm, I'm, um, I'm just aware when I'm talking about this, this, you know, this is completely from my own experience. So it's not everyone's experience. There are different types of depression. There are types of depression that absolutely require medication. You know, so I'm not, I'm not, um, what I'm talking about here is just my own personal experience, but I feel like it was a culmination of, um, I have this, this term that I use a lot and it's, you know, I had suppressed, 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 suppressed so much that at some point I had to depress I had suppressed who I was. I had suppressed what I wanted to say. I'd become, you know, like I'd become really passive aggressive. I couldn't tell, like if a meal came out and I didn't like it, I I would just be sitting there fuming about this meal, but never saying anything. Like everything was really suppressed. Um, My creativity was suppressed. You know, I I felt like I was lacking purpose and meaning. And I got to this point where, um, yeah, where it was just, there, there was a, a complete numbness. And I, I think it was a culmination of just getting to a point where something had to shift. Um, and also a friend of mine had died and he, um, well, he wasn't actually a friend. He was a, a staff member that I'd had in a shop that I used to work in in Byron many, many years ago. And he was the kind of guy that I wanted to be. He was someone everybody loved. He was fun. He was creative he, um, you know, he just had this real zest for life and he was infectious in a really good way, not in a COVID way, but like in a really, you know, like a really fun, <laughs> yeah. fun way. Um, and and I, I resented him because of that, because he was so vivacious and expressed and, you know, I'd be like, no, I hate that guy, um, kind of. <laughs> that's, that's a bit harsh. No, he didn't hate him, but I was just very jealous of him, you know, and so... Um, and so when he, he, he went over to Bali on a trip with some friends and ate something, had a reaction and died. And he was like 25, I think, maybe around 25. And it just shook me to my core. And I was like, wake up, woman. What are you doing with your life? You're here. You're miserable. You know, like, who were you? And actually, I then went back into my childhood and I did a lot of work around what did I used to love? Like, what used to bring me joy? What? And it was art and, you know, like um, expression and dance and music and all of these things that were really relevant in my childhood. And I'd lost my way through life. You know, life became serious and adulting and all that kind of jazz. And I'd, I'd lost connection with that um, creative, expressive kid. And so really the last 10, 12 years has been coming back to that. Who, who am I really at the core? Because I'm not all the things, I'm not all the expectations that have been placed on me. I'm not, you know, from parents, from society, from our education system, I'm, I'm something that lives beyond all that stuff. So who is that? And then just slowly, slowly reconnecting with that over the course of like, well, it's been like 12 years now 
and the and and other using other tools like I'm I love kinesiology for this kind of stuff. Uh, I've done you know lots of different coaching. Um, I use creativity as a way to understand myself. So just recognizing my creative process. The main things that have shifted though are just the awareness that I have when when I notice things start to come in and I start to feel that body reaction to things like a fuck you kind of feeling, I dig into it. Why am I feeling this? What is it about it? That's, what's it raising in me? Um, because it's like anger is like a really great compass and it can help us to, to see where we're out of alignment, you know? Um, and so for me, it, it's just this constant practice of expressing myself. I have this, this, um, guiding principle which is has been since that actually the day I remember the day that things shifted I had been crying on my bed just bawling my eyes out I went into the bathroom I looked at myself in the mirror and I hated what I saw and I actually said I fucking hate you and I punched my reflection in the mirror that was when everything shifted and my barometer for success in life is if I can go to bed at night and look at myself in the mirror and be happy with the person looking back at me, then that is a successful day in my life, right? And, and that's what I aim for. So that doesn't mean being, um, so I, you know, that means that I'm not an asshole to myself. I'm not an asshole to other people. I express what needs to be expressed. If I know that I'm going to look in that mirror at the end of the day and have regret that I haven't said something, I make sure I say it. So, um, so that that is like the visual barometer of um, how, yeah, how I live my day to day life. Can I look at the end at the in the mirror at the end of the day and be happy with the person that's looking back at me? And that's quite a good, easy way for anyone to be able to live this isn't it? Like to be able to look at yeah. yourself in the mirror. And thank you for sharing that. Um, I know that's no hard to, always easy to be able to share things like that. It's, um, it's interesting because it's like, for me, it is quite easy. Um, I think because, because I think it's really important and I see the value in having these kind of conversations. So for me, like there are, there are other things that make me feel vulnerable, but sharing that, that story of mine doesn't really, because and I, ju- I just want to be upfront about that, right? Because it, it does feel like for a lot of people, that would be a huge thing to share. For me, it's something that it's part of my purpose, right? Like I, I want to share those experiences because I feel like they can connect with other people. And that's part of the guiding thing too, right? Like I don't keep inside what I feel could be of service to someone else. So that that means art. It means podcasting. It means my writing. It means anything. It means me just saying something to someone if I know it's going to be in service of somebody else, then I'll do it because I work with a lot of people and inside you, it's not actually having an impact. And in fact, it's just taking up a whole bunch of mental real estate and energy, keeping it within, you know, so I feel like I'm here to help people express all different parts of themselves. That requires leading by example. How did you become and how, I suppose, would you suggest other people become more comfortable with expressing themselves? Because like you and I know myself, we get put into these little boxes where square pegs trying to fit into round holes or vice versa. And we've spent so long conforming, for want of a better word, that we actually have lost our ability to play, to create to express. So how did that become a process for you? And how do you then encourage others to do that? Because I find that is one of your areas of brilliance is to be allow, allow people to express themselves. So yeah, how do you get people to do that? Uh, So I would say there's no like magical bullet for this, right? Like it really is just day by day. It's, it's almost like that, like an alcoholic in recovery. It's just a day by day thing. You don't look past the day. You're just kind of in the day. So yeah, so it's just, it's just a practice. And, and so practicing constantly, the only way you get better at something is by practicing. It's like, I feel really lame saying this because I feel like it's so overused, but like, that's how muscles grow, right? You use them. So um, that is how, how, that is how your voice grows. You use the muscles of the throat. 
Um, you know, like it, it, it's how creativity grows. We never, I feel like there's a lot of expectations around being brilliant at something from the beginning. And if we're not brilliant at it from the beginning, then it's not worth our time. But things change and shift and evolve over time. We grow better at things as the more that we show up for them. Um, you know, I was just thinking this morning about how, yeah, how many people, when it comes to podcasting, right? It's a great example because I work with a lot of people who get stuck in that perfecting. They're like, it's almost like they want to theorize something into existence, <laughs> but in order to go for a run, like you can run in your head, but it's actually not really doing that much for your body. It might be mentally preparing you to run, but it, but you have to put the shoes on and hit the pavement in order to run. And, that, and then you show up daily for it and you eventually get faster and fitter and stronger. And it's the same with creativity. It's the same with expression. It's the same with anything that you want to develop within yourself, whether that is more self-acceptance, whether that is, um, you know, whatever it is, it, it requires you to be uh, committed and to just showing up. Change happens, you know, like I feel like change is something that um, often takes time, but growth is something that really we aren't necessarily aware of until we're reflecting back. Like all of a sudden, yeah, you can run nine Ks that you, and you, before you couldn't run more than nine meters. And over time, you've gotten better at it. But yeah, you know, we haven't stopped to celebrate the little wins in between. And I think that's part of it too is like, hey, oh my God, I've actually reflecting back. Oh, yeah, look, I've actually improved here. Um, it's so funny. I, I shared a video once um, with a friend of mine. Actually, I think I shared it in my Facebook group when I was doing Shop Speak Up and I was doing more in there. And I shared this video of me in 2010. I was running on the beach. I had a little video camera and I was, um, that's how my podcasting journey started was me running on the beach because at the height of my depression, I just didn't really have much clarity. But when I would run, I would find this like, you know, place where, where there was this almost like a stream of consciousness. That's what it felt like. There was peace and clarity and space. And so I would take a little video camera down there and it was an actual video camera because like we didn't have phones with cameras <laughs> in those days. And so I'd be running along with a video camera videoing myself and it would just be like three minutes of me talking about some really lame now, it sounds, it seems really lame you know, thing about like being the change or something like that. And, um, and then I put them out on YouTube and I shared one of them in my Facebook group a few years ago. And I was like, look, this is where it all began. And like, I haven't even changed. Like I'm still doing the same thing. And people are like, what girl, <laughs> like that you are so different to that person. You are not even that person anymore. You know, like there's, there's so much depth and wisdom and, and stuff to you. But for me, it was like, I, I'm just me. I'm just moving through life. And, um, and so I don't see the growth that happens until I have opportunities to reflect on it, you know? And then I'm like, wow, okay. Yeah, I can see I have grown and I have changed and, um, and I've gotten better at articulating myself. And, you know, it doesn't mean that sometimes I'm not speaking and I'm like, oh my God, please shut up and get to the point. Um, that, that shit still happens. It's still, you know, we never, we never fully move away from the critic. The critic is a healthy thing to have. I'm just less mean to myself these days. So, so it, you know, it's just a practice. It's a practice of showing up for something that you love. It's a practice of, you know, reconnecting to yourself. It's a practice of becoming aware of the voice in your voices in your head. It's a practice of showing up and not like not being afraid to suck because you will suck at some point. Anyone who starts something generally isn't a fucking genius from the first day, you know, like we need to have more, um, I don't know, we need to give ourselves more space and just be willing to, yeah, like show up and suck and then improve and gain more confidence. Confidence is a byproduct of actually doing shit, right? Like it doesn't come through theory. It doesn't come through thinking about doing something. It comes through putting some paint on the fucking canvas until you get better of it, better at it. And then you build confidence from the practice of showing up to it. Oh, I love know that. Know what I mean? 
Yeah. <laughs> I think that is so good. I think I need to hear that. I have huge, huge, huge perfectionism tendencies, which doesn't really go very well with my third line in human design. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't, perfectionism and experimenting do not go very well together. True. <laughs> um, but I feel like the perfectionism is a is a trauma response almost to to being an experimental person. So, um, you know, like if we've if we've been raised in a system or by parents who who wanted to protect us from making all the mistakes, then um, then we become perfectionists and we become quite anxious about the creative process. Right. When actually we are deeply experimental people because it's our design. I'm a third line, too. Right. Like I'm here to try out the shit. Learning that about myself has given me further permission to to be that, to be like, okay, don't be so attached to an outcome. Just do it to be in the experience of it. And sometimes being in the experience is painful too, because you're like, where the fuck am I going with this? Oh my God, I'm ruining it. I'm ruining it. And then you just stick with it and stick with it, stick with it. And eventually, you know, like it depends on your creative process, but for most of us, things fall apart before they come together. And we've, and most people walk away at the falling apart bit, but they, they don't stick around long enough to see it come together. And I think that's true, not just, you know, we're not talking about creativity here just as, you know, like thank you, paint or draw. That's like in right. every aspect of life though, with that kind of right. idea if you think of, about like yeah, go. if you think about like cleaning a room, you know, like if if you're decluttering your kitchen, you go through the same process. You pull out all the shit and you're like, fuck. And there's this point where you get to almost complete. This is my own experience anyway. And, and it just feels totally overwhelming. This is never going to be finished. Why did I do this? You know? And then you keep going and, and you have a decluttered kitchen and it feels amazing and everything has a place, you know? And, and it's like, and it, there's an accomplish, a sense of accomplishment in that. But you never get to that point if you don't move through the overwhelm part of it. Yeah, absolutely. We really need to redefine failure and what actually is failure and does it actually even exist? That's what I would totally. think that really needs to be a discussion because, yeah, I think we get, it's kind of ingrained in us it, since we were little, you pass or fail on tests and all that kind of stuff. And I get, yeah. you know, in there's certain things you need to have a level of competency in things like I wouldn't want my doctor to have got a 40% on you know, if he's going to cut me open or something like that, yeah, like, you know, I want them to know what they're doing. So yeah, there's definitely, we need a level of competency for um, some things in life, but yeah, in terms of that failure. And I think that probably is where it comes back to creativity. Like I remember being in art classes and, you know, you would have a teacher tell you that you're not doing mm. it right. It's like, well, yeah. define right when it comes to drawing a picture. Well, art is completely subjective, right? Like there is no wrong in art. Uh, yet, yet, yeah, yet we go into school and there is a right and a, a, and a wrong and, and you're good at that and you're not good at that. Um, you know, where like I look at some of my favourite art at the moment and it's like it's just about free expression. I like, I like to see shit that is like a total clusterfuck sometimes and it's like, wow, that person was so free in their expression you know those paintings when when that look like they've been done by a by a three year old <laughs> kid like that's actually totally free expression. Yeah. I really rate that um, because it's really hard for most of us to let go enough to put something out there that isn't perfect. And for me, you know, if we're talking about failure or if we're talking about creativity, I I grew up with a, an artist brother. He basically came out of my mum's vagina and was like a <laughs> You know, like a, a, a he's a he's a very well respected artist in Melbourne. He has a piece of art hanging up in the permanent gallery, but mine is different. And it and you know the more that I've allowed myself to develop my own style, and this goes for art, but it also goes for everything, right? It goes for the way decorate my house it goes for the way that I cook not that I really cook that much it's not my favorite expression but you know it goes for the way that I podcast and I use my voice and and um and everything you know I've just allowed myself to develop my own style and I think I think that's really important allowing yourself to develop your own style and I did want to say on the failure front you know if we're talking about failure I had the biggest failure of um of failures which was my co-working space <laughs> hundred grand I lost and and it was really um you know a, a big failure in a lot of ways in in the fact that it didn't work as a business um but 
so much came out of that. I wouldn't be where I am today if I hadn't massively failed. And I think that failure has shifted my relationship with failure in terms of it took a long, a lot of healing, a long time, you know, a lot of kinesiology (laughs) sessions around it, a lot of conversations around it for me to really see that, um, you know, it's okay for things not to work out and sometimes they're not supposed to work out. And that's okay. It's actually maybe nothing to do with me. And so having that has allowed me to go, you know what, when things really fuck up and you really fail, it's always in service of something greater. So, you know, it, it, it's not the end point. Your, end, your life doesn't end with a failure. It's just beginning in other ways. Yeah, I think that goes back to that whole reflecting, like you can never see the growth until you look back and there's no use when you are in the middle of whatever failure, shit, crap that you're happening in your life at that time. You're never going to be able to see the growth, see where it's taking you because you're still in the shit. So, yeah, I think once everyone's hit a bottom, whatever that bottom looks like for them, and if it's been there once, I think it gives you the knowledge, the understanding that actually it, you will come through this. Just give yourself the tool to be able to get through so you can look back and be like, oh, actually, this was why. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I think it's Steve Jobs who said something like, you know, you can't connect the dots looking forward, only back. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and so you just don't know where things are leading. And it's the same, it's the same with expression, you know, like when I hit record to record my show, I have no idea where it's going to go. And that's, that's, that can be like a, a weight of anxiety or it can be f- full of potential and possibility. It just depends on the way we're looking at it. It's like when we started this conversation, we had no idea where it was going to go. You probably <laughs> might have had a little bit, but then I came and fucked that shit up. <laughs> Well, interestingly, because I've had not very much sleep, thanks, jet lag, I <laughs> actually hadn't. I Usually I put down a few questions because I kind of think of where I want to go. But this time I was like, oh, I haven't even really prepared for this. And I'm like, oh, it'll be okay. Yeah, and it has it's, been. It's been totally yeah, okay. Absolutely. That's it. <laughs> and I think that's, that's, the, that's amazing. That's the amazing thing, right? Like when we're creating something, whatever it is, we're creating something that didn't exist before. And, um, and I, I think that's the magic of it. I think that's my favorite thing about showing up to make something. I'm always surprised by the outcome, which is, um, yeah, which is, which is cool. You know, and sometimes it sucks and sometimes I can be like, oh, what could I do differently around that um, without being an asshole to myself? So actually looking at it objectively and being like, okay, what didn't work there? Well, this is what I could do next time that would make it a little bit different. And um and, and that, that, that's experimentation, right? Like that's, that's part of the being an experimenter is doing something, testing the theory and then reviewing it seeing what worked, what didn't work and, and trying something new. Um, but most people get in that whole thing. What do they say? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over <laughs> and over and expecting a different result. Yeah. <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> yeah, 100%, 100%. That's why we laugh so much. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, understand that one. Finally hits. Okay, so now we're getting to the end of the hour, so I'm not going to ask you any more too in-depth questions. I'm going to run way too far over. But I did want to ask because I know that you also have a first line like myself, and I want to know what are you learning now that is really sparking your curiosity? Okay, so I actually have just been studying um, I've been studying a few things. I'm always, I'm always like, you know, first line are the people who have the, the, their bedside table has about 300 books sitting on it, <laughs> all, all, of, you know, all with bookmarks in them. Um, but so at the moment I'm, I've been really obsessed with a few things. One is voice. So I've been studying um, a five element uh, framework for voice. It's um, from a woman, Barbara McAfee, and it's called Full Voice. Amazing. Um, if you're looking to, uh, you know, connect to your voice and make some noise, like literally make some noise, then, um, you know, check it out. It is on Audible that she's a, she's, she does the read of it and it's really great. It was life-changing for me. I loved it. So I've been studying that. Um, I've also just finished um, 
I'm becoming an ethics teacher at my kids' primary school just one afternoon a week when instead of going to scripture, um, you know, the kids who don't go to scripture can go to ethics. And so I've just studied to um, become an ethics teacher, which is really cool. And I very think exciting. that is amazing for you. Can I just yes. say yes? Oh my God. It's so good. Yes. Like just, I think the ability for children to have a space where they can um, express themselves without having to get something right or wrong and to, you know, dive into moral dilemmas and think about it from all different angles. Like these are skills that I wish we were taught in mm. school. Um, and so like, I'm so, I'm just, I'm all goosebumpy about it because I just think it's going to be amazing. I think those um, kids, and then, those kids that oh. actually have you to do that with them, to hold that space, uh, just, I don't, they don't know how lucky they are. Can I just say that? That would be Thank amazing. You. Yeah, it, it'll be, I'm sure it'll be lots of fun. There'll be lots of classroom management skills, you know, like <laughs> going on here, um, which, which will be interesting. But mom, Maple always says, mum, like whenever we have friends over, um, she'll always be like, my mum's really strict. And I'm like, but I'm fun too. Because <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I guess like, anyway, we'll see how it all goes. I'm sure I'll be like, it'll be all be like, eyes on me everybody's <laughs> eyes on me please lips closed hands in my you know <laughs> it'll be really interesting um, to see how I how I go with all that and the other thing I've been obsessed with is um I've been reading this guy I read this guy's book a while ago called um Utopia for Realists and it's about basic universal income and how the input like a bunch of um you know case studies on the argument for it and this guy the guy who wrote it I think his name's Rutger Bergman, like I uh, can't quite remember, but it's something like that. If you Google Utopia for Realists, it's a fascinating read. And he's just written another book called, I think it's called Humankind. And his whole perspective is around giving humanity hope, like seeing the best in people, which I think is something that um, we don't do enough of, but it's it's there. Like humans are inherently good and they want to be good, most of us. Yep we're not often given the opportunity or when we don't recognize how, how inherently good we are and, um, and the things that are possible when we come together. So I love reading stuff that is either, you know, I love philosophy. I'm obsessed with, um, you know, ethical dilemmas and stuff like that. So all of my reading is around random shit. I'm, you know, Jung, uh, one minute I'm reading Jung, one minute I'm reading a human design book, one reading, you know, then I'm reading about communism, then I'm reading about, <laughs> so it's like, it's very random, but I, I love just being, you know, I, I love having my mind stretched. And yeah. so, yeah, reading is my, my favorite thing besides all the other things, dancing, singing, music, creativity, <laughs> it's all, expression. Yeah. It's all there. <laughs> How do you fit time into work, really? I know. Oh, my God, how do I? <laughs> Make it my work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Perfect. Now, before my final two questions, can you tell listeners where they can find you, anything you've got coming up, anything you want to share with them? Yeah, so I am most of, the, most of my um, creativity, I guess, is found on Instagram. I love Instagram. And I'm Carlosophies there. My podcast, if you're listening to this, you listen to podcasts, I check out Carlosophies. I've also had another, I've had one on a series on creativity I did, which would be worth a spin is called Make Some Noise. And I do a podcast about podcasting and human design called Rocky Mike Wright. Uh, and then my website's carlynimo.com. Lovely. And I'll obviously link all those in the show notes and definitely check Carly out on Instagram. Oh my God. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I love it. Like my daily dose, I always make sure that I scroll back and find your stories if they don't just come up. <laughs> oh, my story. I, I, that's my favorite thing. I love stories. I love, um, you know, just sharing things that have inspired me, things that provoke thought. Um, yeah, I, I love, it's my, it's my favorite expression is Instagram stories. <laughs> okay. So final questions. How do you sustain, strengthen and nurture your life? through space through through creativity I think space is the big one I am very conscious of making sure I don't overcommit to things and that I leave enough space there to either do nothing or just explore um, you know some form of self-expression nice and what are you currently doing in your life to find your hum 
What am I doing? Uh, I'd say that my life is pretty much finding my hum. You know, I, I feel like my life is dedicated to to that, to feeling, um, not necessarily feeling good, but to, you know, feeling to expression, things that I do. I, I read a lot, you know, I, I create a lot of things and that's really what I do. I'd say, yeah, I'd say it's not necessarily one thing it's just a culmination of all the practices that I've been practicing for a while now oh I love that I like that it's your life this yeah that's perfect yeah yeah I think it should be everyone's life I think like when we're dedicated to finding our hum then you know that 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 isn't a selfish thing I think a lot of people think like you know oh it's I, I struggled with this too when I used to I remember when I wanted to learn to play ukulele a couple of years ago I, and, and go back to singing lessons. These are some things that I've done over the years to connect to my creativity. And I just remember feeling deep guilt around it. And I was like, oh, I shouldn't be spending money on this. I shouldn't be taking time out of my work day to do this stuff. But actually when I do that, when I'm dedicated to my own growth, my own creativity, my own expression, it positively impacts everyone around me in so many different ways. Number one, I'm a better person. I can show up and be more happy because I'm not resentful that I'm sacrificing everything for the happiness of everybody else. You know, like I, I can show up and, 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 and be present and give myself to them because I have, you know, it's that it's like really lame, but it's that whole, when your cup is overflowing, you can give from the overflow. Um, When your cup is empty, it's, it's just full of bitterness, resentment, anger, frustration, um, because you, you know, you haven't, you haven't looked after yourself. So yeah, I think it's one of the most important things that we can do is be dedicated to finding our hum. And that's a process that evolves too, right? Like when I started, I had no idea what my hum was so much so that I was looking through diaries of, you know, my childhood journals to see what did I like back then? And then since the, then the 12 years since then has been just a practice of, okay, yeah, right. This is important to me. This is when I feel good. This is when I'm showing up and life feels successful for me is when I'm, you know, I'm dedicated to my creativity. I'm, I'm, I'm not overexerting myself and doing things out of a sense of obligation and duty, but because I actually really want to. And that has such a big energetic effect on every other aspect of your life. You basically just summed up the purpose of the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> I love it. Dancer. <laughs> there you go. Just put it into Rev, copy and paste, and there's your show description. <laughs> Thank you very much. My pleasure. <laughs> well, that is it, Carly. Thank you so much for giving me your time and the listeners your time. I appreciate it very much. My pleasure. Anytime. Cheers. Cheers for tuning in to another episode of Find Your Hum. Don't forget to subscribe. Oh, and tell your mates about it. <laughs> <laughs>